Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Uroj, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Boris Kapitanovich, co-founder of WorkShares, a special kind of hands-on consultancy focused on driving productivity in organizations. In this episode, we discuss how important it is to find a niche for your consultancy, the approach they took that allows them to work successfully with global multinationals, and how they kept the team small while being in charge of projects with nine-figure budgets. I hope you will enjoy this episode. Hi, Boris. Thank you for joining us here today. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Uroch. Usually, let's say my first question is, how did you become an entrepreneur? But this time, let's say my first question to you is, what actually does your company do? So I represent WorkShares, and um, yeah. we focus on driving productivity in organizations. That is a single sentence kind of statement. Now, obviously, if we need to elaborate further, we focus Please on do. technology, organization, and marketing. Uh, and we do put our clients, customer, and user into main focus. Okay, this is exactly why I ask you what you what you do you do. Can we go get a little bit more specific for our listeners to better understand, let's say, your business? Maybe a specific project or example. Exactly. So um, when I say productivity, um, I can use a few examples from recent period, last five years or so. It's about doing more with less, right? And on that note, it means either lower budgets or achieving more impact with the same resources, etc., etc. And organizations that we had been focusing in the UK predominantly were global organizations that have headquarters in the UK. However, I am now moving towards Slovenia and things are changing in that direction. Uh, but I'll get to that point in a second. Examples of projects are, for instance, different types of organizations. They, are, they have 10,000 to 600,000 staff members. They are large organizations, international. And we normally walk into this kind of organization in three different ways, right? As program portfolio managers, where we actually reshape the way how organization is investing into digital transformation projects uh, as architects or change leads. And I'm referring to organizational change and culture change in that respect. For the people that don't understand, let's say, why organization need help in running some such projects, let's say, why don't do, they do it with internal resources? Could you explain, let's say, the value yes. you provide? Yeah. So this would take me back to our, let's say, 10 years ago. We tend to focus on specific types of technologies. Initially, we were focusing on Microsoft-related technologies. We started with things that are today known as Office 365, SharePoint, Exchange, and certain additional uh, capabilities that today exist, like Teams, Yama, Apps, Power Platform, BI uh, capabilities, etc. So 
initially we were trying to achieve everything and the first lesson learned was just focus on specific niche and become a master of that niche but still offer the same types of services as i mentioned before and that was not enough at the time uh, because we were too broad in terms of industries so we had chosen a couple of industries initially it was utilities uh, and energy meaning uh, British Gas Centrica were the clients, uh, BP was one of the first clients, so British Petroleum. Uh, and later on, we start to develop these kind of capabilities in that area and switch to additional industries, right? So what, what exactly, let's say, did you sell to BP or British Gas in your first meeting? Let's say, what was the selling point? So the selling point was they were trying to actually deploy certain Microsoft technologies and they, were ju ju they just kept failing. They could not get it right. Whereas we had done it on so many occasions before that we walked in. Personally, I stepped in as a lead architect at the time, but it was a role for within their organization for these technologies. So it's called the lead domain architect. And we designed the new architecture for how, in terms of how we would implement. And then you are controlling how it gets implemented and normally it's internal resources that would be implementing. Uh, at some point, they started to fail in that area and we said, right, we know how to do it. And we assisted them in building the capabilities from development and infrastructure point of view as well. That's 10 years ago. So if I understand correctly, just to recap, let's see. So you basically came into a larger organization that wants to do some kind of change, let's say, predominantly technological. Yeah. And uh, let's say, because this is not once in a lifetime, but quite a rare occurrence for them, they don't have much experiences in handling such processes. So there, here you came in and you say, okay, this is exactly all, all that we do. We can organize, let's say, different resources that you have and help you go through this change faster and actually came out on the other end. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Okay, you can, you can hire me for sales. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, so on that note, I guess that is the technical part of transformation that I mentioned initially, right? Yeah. When we start to deliver this kind of capabilities, we noticed that certain other elements were missing and program portfolio management was another part. And Throughout the years, in past 10 years, what it turned out was that uh, a lot of these organizations now are moving into the cloud, whatever that cloud means, right? However, there are always the same problems that they're facing. And because we know we had seen these problems on so many occasions before, this was in 2007, we were working on first cloud initiative that was cloud cloud based initiative, right? So we started to deliver these additional capabilities. Now, it is quite hard to comprehend to just general listener when, when I mention all these capabilities. Now, we also need to understand that, let's say in the UK, in the US, this is quite the mature terminology that I'm using. So you don't need to explain a lot what it actually means, right? Yeah. Now, on the other hand, uh, the, I mentioned the organization that I am currently shaping for Central Eastern Europe operations. What we did notice is because we are very small as an organization, right? We never grew more than 50 people, 15 people strong in that respect. 
right? We kept it at specific level and we started to bring partner organizations to the table. And some of them came from this area, from Slovenia, from Croatia. And what we did notice was that they were lacking maturity even in using the basic terminology. And when you try to explain how you would like to cut corners, this is exactly where you said you could be the sales representative in, uh, for us, right? Now, uh, we, we can definitely use one. Uh, but on the other hand, there are different ways how we would position ourselves in terms of niche market, right? Do you think that, uh, let's say, this lack of understanding of this mature terminology is because there is not so many corporations, let's say, in this area, let's say. So it's actually the, most people are not faced with this kind of challenges very often, let's say. Actually, they are. Uh, they're just too small to, 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 to spend. Yes, I'll give you an example from Slovenia. This is now 20 people strong organization. Their turnover is in a range of 5 million. And this is example from two years ago when I first pilot tested, how can we use methods from very large organizations on very, well, let's call them micro organizations in that respect, right? Not a startup. They've been around. They're, they're already on 5 million, so they're doing something right. It's about using the frameworks that had now been around for 10, 20, 30 years or more. Project management has been around for 70 years as a practice, right? They just don't recognize the need for those elements. But if you have, and I must argue, there are colleagues around and even companies in Slovenia, in Croatia, etc., who do focus on maturing this kind of capabilities anyway. But people rather make mistakes trip over the usual suspects in, when they're trying to deliver a change in organization and they just roll with the punches. Yeah, there's also, let's say, maybe cultural attitude towards consultants, let's say, in this region, uh, because I believe that most people don't differentiate between two types of consultants. Let's say one is self-proclaimed consultant, let's say, who read books and now tries to pass this as knowledge and experience. Maybe knowledge, but not experience. But the other type of consultant, which is in reality really valuable, is the one who's done it before and is just bringing this knowledge to you. And usually it's much more expensive, but the value it provides, it's uh, really beneficial. This is something that I actually learned as being part of DHH, let's say, that uh, sometimes consultants should be brought on board as soon as possible, and they're really valuable. I agree with you. And even large consultancies, I'm referring to big four or any digital transformation consultancies that exist out there would have the same challenges, no matter how big the market is. And we did find a niche in, in that area, exactly what you're describing now. Even them, they need to package their services in order to be profitable. Actually, our experiences, let's say, with uh, big consultancies, let's say we prefer small boutique ones, let's say, because they're usually really special, specialized on some area of competence and they're good at that. And if you find the match, they're usually outperform the big four. I agree. Uh, but now I would, let's say, go back. So you're now moving among, let's say, corporations doing these large projects, let's say, implementing, helping them. But you're an entrepreneur, let's say, so you started this business. So how does one 
start in this kind of field because as we just discussed, it's not so usual to have this kind of experiences. So how did you get started? So in terms of starting a company, we didn't start from scratch. There was four of us. Um, the lead partner, he's ex-KPMG. Personally, I was a, a head of different departments before in consulting companies here in Slovenia. Uh, I was heading a software development team on Microsoft Technologies uh, at Comland. Um, great company in that respect. Still deliver really nice custom solutions. And at the same time, I was a CTO at Novartis, for instance. So what we brought to the table when we formed this organization, WorkShares, was certain background experience. And what we needed to learn in first two years was actually how to find our niche, right? And I think during that time, we were using our past references, past contacts to get the business up and running. Uh, we did even use certain elements of what, what is in the UK called contracting model, right? As a single person walks in, etc. Now, that was not too profitable. So obviously, we had to turn the model on its head. And this is how in year two, year three, we started to find the right areas. In year five, we actually got into a niche that we are now, how we enter the large organizations, etc. And it's actually the key is hidden what we were saying before with large consultancies. They do not deliver the best value at every point in time. They do deliver the value for large implementations because they can ramp up a team of 200 staff members that work as one, not as one, but much more, they're much more aligned with each other. But still, there are gaps, and we tend to cover those gaps and represent clients in leading and driving this kind of capability, right? So example of, of these projects, uh, Microsoft was delivering their third largest project globally, a cr cloud migration project for one of the pharma retail organizations, and they keep missing certain deadlines, right? And this is where we were brought to the table to actually stabilize the way how they were delivering. And they, they got great knowledge. It's their tools that they were deploying, right? Microsoft technologies. It was just how they organize themselves, et cetera. And these gaps are the ones that we step in. That's why I said program management, then architecture, and change are the three uh, usual suspects that we focus on when we focus on productivity. So basically, it's a combination of project management skills, technical skills, let's say, so that you know how to design the new system and also how to transition from the old one to the new one, and communication, probably. So the first two would be 20% of the job done. 80% is actually culture, communication, governance, and structure, right? So how do we actually pull all the, the heads together, uh, align their views where we're going on this journey internally with executive team members to the technical resources who are quite often experimenting on ideas how they would like to implement certain things and they forget about the concept of minimal viable product. Yes, you may have 100 million of budget when you try to implement something, but uh, you can also burn that money really fast, right? And this is what keeps happening year on, and that's where we can add value. Okay, can we, let's say, explore this a little bit? This 
a little bit more. When you start a new project with a new partner, let's say with a new company, what's the most important thing that you focus on that allows you to be successful in the end? Actually, we turn towards the leadership team and we ask them exactly this question. How does success look like for you? What would you like us to achieve as one team, right? With the vendors, ourselves, and your internal staff members. How does success look like? And if that goal has been clearly defined in the past, they were obviously they were progressing faster already. If not, then this is the first question we ask. Second thing we do on that layer is we see where we can cut corners. How can you show quick results? How can we show progress in first month, in first three months? Because that, that is key. All eyes are on us, right? You just joined a large organization. Uh, one little Boris joined an organization of 400,000 st uh, staff members. Microsoft Global uh, Consultancy is delivering the project for them. What can Boris do, right? And this is key, how, how you pull those strings together, ask the right questions, uh, start shaping all the capabilities in the right direction. That, that's just an example. Um, Walgreens Boots Alliance is the company behind it. Walgreens is the biggest pharmacy in uh, the US. Boots, we know from the UK, and Alliance is the logistic arm of uh, handling the medicines and every other components of their business. So example there was, they were just, they, we had to move the ball in further direction, right? And how do you do that? Well, it's about using the principles I mentioned before, the frameworks. And if we hadn't done all this kind of, if we were not involved in all these areas as core team in past, you struggle. You struggle with the change. In terms of the change, do people understand what we're trying to do? Because what you will see in these large organizations is every country would have one or more divisions of this organization, right? Each division has its own PL. They have managing director, they have finance director, etc. And they made certain commitments and they are following the targets that will meet those commitments. And all of a sudden there is global team coming in and saying, oh, we're going to change this for you. And you're disrupting their business or the way how they do their business. So you need to align with each one of them and have them aligned first before you say, right, we're putting this kind of capabilities in. And because of this new CRM system, as an example, this is not specific to, to this particular company I mentioned earlier, you will have the finger on the pulse how the market is reacting to your uh, new products, different campaigns in marketing, et cetera, et cetera, as an example, right? So they need to understand the value behind it first before they, they get on the journey with you. Okay, so these cutting corners that you mentioned, okay, I was a little bit confused, but now I understand. Let's see. So it's a quick wins that uh, gets you enough credibility with the, let's say, management team of, uh, let's say, middle management that actually believes in you and helps you achieve your goals. That's in the beginning, right? But then again, there are the big corners that you might be able to cut as well. And obviously, if you hadn't done it so many times before, uh, it's hard to actually stand by your words and defend the position. And normally there are certain areas we know we will never trade certain elements like security. Let's lower the security for the sake of change. It's not gonna happen, but you can be lowering some other criteria in terms of how your first rollout of a product or a service even 
will look like, right? An example there could be, let's say, with Burberry, fashion company. So we were representing Capgemini there, right? Um, we're, we're brought to the table to take over specific um, part of a delivery service and recuperate the momentum in terms of how this service was operated within Burberry. And it was focusing on productivity and collaboration at the time. And certain colleagues, certain engineers were just trying to boil the ocean from day one. And we said, guys, let, let's just cut it short. Let's focus on this part first. This is how we can solve X part of the puzzle. Um, let's just talk to the architects that uh, actually um, we need to understand a little bit more about the client before I maybe explain some, some solutions. But long story short, Burberry, every three months, there is a new season. So spring, summer, autumn, winter, and they launch their new products, right? And because they're leading in the market, they have certain challenges. For instance, right now, they're already planning for summer next year, how, how the, the, their particular collection will look like. And during this period, there is a lot of opportunities where competitors or copycats could actually get adrift what they're trying to do and copy the whole concept in advance. Uh, Burberry would use a lot of their budget for commercials, for advertising. And at the same time, everyone else would launch the same type of product, right? Because they had uh, this kind of information. So if you can shorten this kind of process from nine months to three months, you actually shorten the risk of uh, delivering the right value with surprise, with the big bang, etc. Right? It can't be done every time. There are tools, technologies out there that could do this. So we focused on very small, minor example as a prototype. It was very successful. And that's how you can start building the momentum because you get the trust from the leadership team as well, etc. Et so it's not always about co cutting corners, but focusing on the right area. And Quite usually, with the question, when you ask how does success look like, you also ask them about the major risks they identified to at a specific point in time. What could go wrong in business? Forget technology, right? So you need to be targeting your minimal viable products in direction of actually focusing on those risks, closing them down, and at the same time adding value to the business. Ideally, uh, when you launch this kind of capability that enables new productivity, you would put one unit in, 10,000 pounds, let's say, and you'd get ideally 100 units out, right? Or one to 10 value is a minimum kind of model. Ideally, you'd have one to 100 value or even higher. Now, there were situations where investment was 200,000 and they got 15 plus billions out of that investment, right, of new business. Those are now extreme situations, but they're nice ex examples how we could be adding value of that kind. So how do we sell? Uh, we don't sell technology. We actually focus on the gaps in the business and try to identify how we can add value in closing those gaps. Okay, let's say now that we are discussing this, let's say I got a feeling that you were brought on board, let's say by other organizations, where they need like a SWOT team, let's say a team of specialists that really know knows their business and do stuff. So, and then you ask this question, how does the success look like, looks like? Do you then redefine the projects, project that you were brought 
on board to solve? Or let's say, how boxed in are you when you come into organization? It, it depends on the people who are currently driving the, the initiative, right? If it's their baby, they might just persist with keeping that momentum that is already there because they made their promises and they just need to look good. So our job is to make them look good. In that case, there are different types of corners you would cut. And that, that happened with one recent organization, actually. On the other ha hand, yes, just recently, we were called the Tiger Team, right? There is one billion of annual budget uh, to be spent for IT. And we were asked to identify 300 million that we can use as extra oxygen and reshape the initiatives and investments in more strategic way. But their goals were amazingly well-defined in advance. And our job was simply to work with different global IT directors, CIOs, and finance directors, and shape the momentum in a way where actually you bring the focus in the new direction. And then from those kind of conversations, the other kind of gaps were identified, such as maturing the portfolio program project management, and then you start focusing on those areas, et cetera, et cetera. It really depends on the client. Some client really knows what they want or think they know what they want, and you simply need to follow them and do the best in that area. When you get the free reign, free hands in terms of how you would like to shape it, uh, yeah. It's great, it's awesome, but it's not always easy because then you need to restructure whole organization that is trying to deliver the transformation. Uh, you now mentioned program portfolio management several times. And uh, let's say, I have to ask, what is it, let's say, because I'm not so well versed in this kind of terminology. It's part of project management, right? But when you have multiple projects, how do you manage, uh, I don't know, 1,500 projects at the same time? You put them into smaller buckets, they're called programs, right? And a certain program focuses on solving a particular topic. And then portfolio is actually an overall kind of umbrella of everything that you're doing. You got all these projects. One project is waiting for another project. How do you actually prioritize which one is going first? You have limited resources in terms of money, in terms of people, internal stuff, etc. How do you actually prioritize who will go first? This is all related to defining a big picture, big bold objectives, how the success looks like, but also what is the minimal viable product for year one, right? Or first three months even. And then it's much easier to prioritize who comes when. What you will notice is if this kind of capability does not exist, is classical uh, power play uh, or politics, as they call it in large organizations or small organizations, 20 people strong, same story, politics, right? Some person who knows how to shout the loudest will get more budget, more money, and more people to do something. But it's the, is it the right thing to do to get to the end goal faster? Right? And normally the answer is no, they're just the loudest. Okay, how much of your success can be attributed to, let's say, you being able to translate from the different, let's say, languages that exist in an organization, let's say, so from maybe from the board language of finance to the language of technology and projects, let's say. Is this a big part of? I think it's a crucial part. And how do you approach this? Let's say, is, is, does it come much natural or do you have like a process that you could share with us? We do have a framework. We do not share this framework. Technically, we developed it through the years. Um, 
But long story short, it really depends on um, initially quite often uh, the culture that we come up against is focused very simply on finance team, CFO, approving certain budget. They know that IT is going this way and they say, right, just do it, right? Nike style. Let's just do it momentum means that you create silences between different uh, parts of departments, operations, marketing, sales, etc., HR, internal comms, etc. right? Why? Be because, well, it's their budget and they can do whatever they want within that scope that they were given, right? And that's normally where the conversation starts. And what needs to happen is you actually need to connect the dots between uh, different departments. And this is where we add quite a lot of value. And quite often, this is one of the major blockers because people are not onboarded correctly. Uh, people that are senior resources from operations, they got their targets. They don't care about what IT are doing, right? Unless they have a vested interest. But if operations are asking for certain solutions, let's say new ERP system, the marketing and let's say HR will be focusing on completely different targets. They will not have time in a day to actually focus on those. So if you identify these kind of challenges that are interdepartmental challenges in advance, you, actually, you can actually call them out, ask the leadership team to give certain types of resources to your initiative in advance, and that's how you stabilize. I guess that's step two in terms of how one could stabilize the initiative. Right? Yeah, it's quite interesting. Let's say we, we as DHH, we are decentralized conglomerate now. This means that uh, let's say each company is independent, CEO sets the strategy, and let's say synergies come bottom up if they decide to, and we support them on the group level as much as we can, but we don't impose them. The reason why is that's because at first, let's say we had maybe a little bit different idea that we would like to, let's say, form a group of, let's say, companies. And the first project, let's say, that everybody agreed upon, let's say, from the different companies, let's say, that it would make sense to have a common IT platform uh, for provisioning as such, uh, hit so many roadblocks that I could not believe it. And one of the stuff was, let's say, it was not even silences, but lack of communication between different countries. So let's say we decided that one team would just be, let's say, be, be based in Croatia. Yeah. They, let's say, were a little bit late in hiring, let's say, new team members. While in Slovenia, they didn't hire a new team member, but they just expected the service will be delivered. And this got me thinking, let's say, how if we as a small multinational had this problem with our first project, let's say this can be, and this probably is a, such a big problem with large multinationals. And it probably creates so much inefficiencies that I cannot imagine. This is exactly what you mentioned now. It's exactly the, the silences that get created. I can't go into specific examples because they're very recent. Uh, but basically, it's a very similar problem, right? Uh, where it's about expectation management. This is what I said before. We would book certain types of resources with different parts of organization in advance. We would explain them what the end goal is. We would even give them way up. And this is a classical discussion, right? When you don't have a global IT strategy and you need to walk, step in, you are the owner and you need to impose this capability. And this is Compass Group 600,000 staff members, right? Or it was 550 when we started the journey. 600 was after three years. 
And on that note, you start with a light touch, but you can impose certain capabilities of that kind in a specific way, but also manage expectations. Also give them leeway because on your journey, you will have larger and smaller parts of organizations or legal entities. Some will be able to afford this kind of platform, some will not because they're just too small. Yeah, it varies, right? And you need to find that middle ground. I'm now already switching into consultancy mode in this case, but long, long story short, there are ways how you can predict things that will go wrong and address them much sooner, which means you discuss them with the leadership team, not just at the top, but also within these parts of legal entities in your case, right? So they know it's coming. You can also foresee that, that sorry, the turbulence that, that will be coming along. And you say, look, this period will be very turbulent for you. So what they usually say on the airplane is brace, brace. But you can also give them tools and knowledge how to actually m mitigate these kind of risks in advance. And that's the change part of the story. Yeah, at the time, let's say we focused on finding uh, tools, frameworks, let's say for synchronizing goals and let's say uh, let's say Google's or let's say from the tech field, OKRs were, were one of those that actually helped us, let's say in the next few quarters then to synchronize different teams. Because let's say this uh, goal setting, let's say, shouldn't be done in a void. Let's say, but should be a discussion between different teams. Uh, okay. uh, let's, uh, I do have one more question for you, or maybe more, but uh, I do have a question regarding your position in a company, let's say when you join as an external third-party consultant, let's say. So do you actually have a power to change something or are you just a consultant that... Uh, advise somebody internal in the company? Let's see, how do you position yourself to be successful? Yeah, I, our ideal position is that we get certain role within organization, but it's not always like that. On some occasions, you're simply an advisor, but then obviously you can't sign on the dotted line that you're taking um, certain accountability for the success of the project as well, right? Uh, so I would say in 70% of the time, we actually manage to get uh, a certain role within organization. And this was our deliberate decision to position ourselves that way. Because normally consultancy is always looked at as an external cap capability. And we are that cog in the middle. We actually just, we are the buffer that sh shakes the right areas of consultancy, identify the risks of what could they not deliver, tighten things up and represent the client to deliver in correct way. That comes with program management and architecture. How does this then affect your internal organization, let's say, at WorkShares, let's say? On, on that note, we started as classical consultancy. And our first large project was one that I mentioned before, Centrica British Gas, so uh, gas industry and utilities. And we started to hire people, right? We, we, we won a major project. Wow, this is now, you know, 250K uh, budget for this year. I can definitely hire certain people. We hired them. We showed them how the future looks like and what needs to change. And the client said, oh, actually, we're not ready for this change. Thank you for pointing out X, Y, and Z. Now we're putting everything on hold. And you already have people on payroll. And you're like, right, what do I do with it? So for that reason, it, it, was, it took us a month to make the decision. But we got to a point where we simply said, look, we're going to stay nimble, small. 
but it's a contractor's market uh, in the UK, right? So you get a lot of specialists that you can actually develop. They know how you work, how your, the culture of your work looks like. And when you need them, you bring them to the table. It's not always ideal, but that's how we were able to actually stay uh, nimble in that, that respect. Because otherwise, managing your internal team, going through all kinds of culture changes internally, growing the business, we simply said we're going to stay this size and focus on uh, the profit side in a different way. So what would your advice be, let's say, to somebody who would like to take his existing let's say, knowledge and specialization and turn it into a successful consultancy, interim management thing that, let's say, you are good at? Where should they focus? Start with very niche focus and a very specific industry. Look at which industry you can make the most money in and just focus on specific niche area first. Don't start big. Uh, that's how we started to grow. Before that time, we were just not uh, there. And that meant, uh, as one of our mentors said, you need to go inch wide, mile deep, right? Just focus and start drilling in that direction. Once you get used to specific things, you start observing all these kind of elements and variety of different possibilities, how things can go wrong. And that's how these frameworks were bo born, brought to the table. Once you think you mastered it, you can test it by adding additional complexity to it, right? One, possibly two new areas. But again, focus on specific industry because you, when you speak their language in banking industry, invest uh, or finance, financial industry, the, the terminologies are completely different to, in comparison to, let's say, uh, food catering service industry, right? Or retail, it was one of our niche areas. And what we noticed is that a lot of terminology there can be used across so many different industries that are focusing on retail. So that's why eventually retail became one of our main sectors that we play in. So inch wide, my deep would be definitely one advice of that kind. The other part is when you think you're bored, meaning that you know, you're repeating these tasks day in, day out, uh, that's what I call wax on, wax off effect. If you have seen the Karate Kid movie, yeah. you, you will know what it means. You don't know why you're doing these moves, but when you get into a large organization, we never started with 600,000 staff, uh, large organization, right? We started with smaller ones. That will bring you a certain mastery to the table, but it's not the way to, to grow fast, right? And we deliberately and consciously made that decision. And we ad tend to advise to certain organizations how you can actually scale up uh, and scale out in completely different ways and we were tempted on a few occasions but we simply said look is this good enough yeah that's how our success looks like and we're comfortable with that so boris thank you for sharing your experiences with uh let's say wax on wax off part of the business and i hope that uh it brought a lot of value to everybody who listened till, to us till the end so do i thanks so much for having me If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and do not forget to tell your friends about it. I would really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next. Just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. The episode show notes are available at www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. 
see you next week.